1: Welcome to our midweek mailbag it is the bye week uh, thankfully mercifully uh, Detroit Lions <laughs> are one in four uh, but we are back here every Tuesday afternoon here on twitch.tv slash pride of Detroit to answer your questions live here and and for your listening and viewing pleasure my name is Jeremy Reisman I am the producer over at pride of Detroit you can find me at Detroit online on Twitter as always, part of the midweek mailbag. We bring in our uh managing editor of Pride and That's Detroit, right. uh <laughs> at Eric Schlitt with a K on Twitter. It's Eric Schlitt. <laughs> How are we doing, bud? I'm
0: all right. Uh
1: I, Are you, I don't, are you?
0: <laughs> I don't I don't feel like I'm getting enough sleep lately. And uh so I'm a little tired, but you know, thus is life of a uh reporter in season.
1: Sure. And hopefully this uh, this bye week will will not only give us time to rest our bones a little bit, but uh, maybe maybe the team needs a little bit of rest or, or two. And I know Dan Campbell before, the, even the, before the Patriots game was like, this is kind of a blessing where this bye week <laughs> is um, maybe even more so after the Patriots game.
0: <laughs> I I think I mean, everybody needs a break, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, the fans need the break, too. I mean, let's let's I, I, I hate going into a buy following a loss because it just lingers. Sure. You know what I mean? The, uh, it, the negativity lingers, the, the feeling lingers, you, you do, you're doing twice as much work on a game that was just heart wrenching at, at, at times. Right. Uh, and so, yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, challenging it's a it's, it's 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 a challenging way to uh have a mini vacation in season <laughs> right sure <laughs> it,
1: it certainly would have been nicer to have discussed
0: when know, when when is the last time they had a win ahead of a buy now i know they've gotten wins coming out of buy. i mean i can't remember i feel like they lose every time going it into a certainly bye.
1: feels like it um it does. it does that's a great question which is what, the, what this podcast is all about is asking questions you're, typically we're not asking them to ourselves but nice segue may, maybe our our live chat can answer <laughs> that one from us and we'll in turn answer questions from them because that's what we do here and also if you're not able to join us live you can always send us questions on Twitter using the hashtag ask pod and that's where we're going to start um David Alexander on Twitter asks us this is a young team with a largely rookie coaching staff does Dan Campbell have the mental chops to turn this thing around?
0: I I mean, we don't know. Right. Yeah. Because he is in his infancy of, of coaching, right. As a head coach anyway. And so, you know, that was one of the things we talked about this summer was the fact that they're only a year into, not only is the a year a, a year into being, having a young roster, but it's a year into having a young coaching staff as well. So who, you know, I don't know. I mean, that's, that's the real question. Like if they can, turn this season around and stack some wins then yeah there's there's the faith is going to grow but if they can't then there's going to be a lot of uh the 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 doubters are going to continue to increase
1: yeah and and when when he says mental chops that to me that means two different things okay in terms of him being able to kind of weather the storm mentally in terms of like keeping his composure and um, keeping the locker room together, all that sort of stuff. I have a hundred percent faith that Dan Campbell is capable of that.
0: Culture wise. Yeah. Culture wise. Yeah. Right? Yeah. right. Yeah. I'm with you. Like he's I'm not
1: going to lose. He's not going to stop being him. He's not going. Mm-hmm. And, and same with Aaron Glenn, like Aaron Glenn I thought had a really good press conference last week where he's talking about like, I've been through this as a player. When, yeah. when you give up two touch, two big touchdowns in the game, you come back and you, you have to keep a level head and all that. And, I I know how to weather that. I know how to not lose mm-hmm. control and, and all, the, all that sort of stuff. And I believe him. And I believe that the coaching staff will keep it together there. The question obviously then is like, okay, but mentally in terms of football mentality, will they be able to turn things around? And and I know I, I've made the comparison. A lot of people are going to make the comparison to last year, right? They go into the bye. They get their butts sure. kicked by the Eagles. They they clearly need to fix the offensive side of the ball. And in a matter of a couple of weeks outside, after the bye, they do. The question is, can they make some of the same adjustments on defense? Do they have the personnel to make some of the adjustments on defense? Because like then there were, there were some injured players or there's some, you know, they, they got Taylor Decker back. They, they get Josh Reynolds. Those mm-hmm. two things were I think maybe underrated ways in which, they were able to turn things around on offense um, outside of obviously the, the, the change in, in coaching structure mm-hmm. defensively, they can get some guys back too. like Josh Paschal looks like he's going to be ready to go in, in one or two weeks. Um, you might get Kaminsky back right away. I, I feel less confident about maybe Romeo Quar coming back anytime soon. Um, but you know, the, the, the Jer- Jerry Jacobs. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but none of those feel like they have maybe necessarily as big of impact and And I don't think they're going to make any any sort of coaching changes necessarily. Um, yeah. I, do, do you think do you think there is a relatively good chance that that something changes towards the positive at least on the defensive side of the ball?
0: yeah, I, I, there's easy you can see a domino effect happening, right yeah. you can see when Kaminsky was available, how that changed up the front and if you're able to get Kaminsky back and then pascal who's essentially in that same type of mode then yeah you can see the front change and when the front changes then everything else trickles back right and yeah. so you, i could i could see some changes the pass rushers the interior penetration um those things are necessary in order necessary improvements in order to see a, a big drastic change and and again we've talked about this previously as the offense gets healthier the defense doesn't have to have the jump the same level of jump that the offense did like they don't need to be a top 10 unit they just need to be a top 24 unit a top 20 you know what i mean honestly yeah and like if they can get out of the bottom third or near you know then it's a completely different team because when the offense is healthy and, and clicking and i know that they just put up a goose egg but you know, you have, you, you have to believe. Yeah, I think based on, and and when you look at Ben Johnson's history, he has a, he's pretty good at adjusting and learning. And so um, I know it's a relatively small sample size, but still, if you can make, I don't think you have to make as big of a jump, I guess, is my point. Like, okay. I, I see there's an opportunity for improvement. If you can get that improvement, you make a little jump and then it, it's, you start to see how it affects everything really. So, but you got to start somewhere and you got to start making improvements and you have to stop making mistakes. And there's a path. It's just, can they take that road? Can they get past those obstacles? Because if they do, if they get past a handful of them, then it's the opportunity to see for them to become what they were in the first couple of weeks and maybe even better is there.
1: Going along with this BW, the kid and, and our live Twitch audience asks, is the defense actually improved like Dan claims it was um, because he came out on on Monday and said, sure. like, listen, that was one of the first things he said is like, I thought we made steps defensively. Um, mm-hmm. And and I think he even said something to the matter of like, we figured some things out because obviously mm-hmm. they made a lot of changes to the personnel, maybe a little bit to the scheme as well. Um, mm-hmm. what, what was your thought of their defensive performance against the Patriots in, in terms of its viability going forward?
0: Yeah, I thought it was better, but at the same time, I didn't think the Patriots offense is explosive. Yeah. Right. So like it's hard to really like you should have gotten better against that against that offense. So um so I don't know. I don't know if I can definitively say that yes, they have gotten better. Um I mean, they ran into even more obstacles, which was, like, ridiculous. Like, um, yeah. It was – I've never seen stuff, – stuff like that, just it, – it's it's rare, you yeah. know, when you're already down, guys, and then to lose where you're having to play your nickel at free and stuff like that. Like it, So, I mean, yes, tangibly it looks like it improved, but is that sustainable? That That's – I don't know. We'll yeah. have to find out.
1: I, I would say – individually there there were some promising things like i thought kirby joseph had a really good game kirby's trending up yeah and and he's probably going to have that position locked down. i don't know what they're going to do with the other safety position that seems interesting because i didn't really expect deshaun to get benched but when he came back after after he played
0: well yeah he played pretty well he made a mistake or two but like he also had a pick they've only had two of those (laughs) right right (laughs) so and i i kind of think mike
1: hughes looked okay on the outside which I, yeah. I, again, I don't, I don't think they're going to stick with that necessarily. I think, I think he's probably going to be pretty far down on the depth chart mm-hmm. on the outside once everyone's healthy. But um, I think, I think that made sense. And I don't know. I, I, I tend to agree with Dan Campbell that the run defense looked better, but you look at the stat sheet and, and there's no, there's no actual evidence of that. I think, yeah. I think if you were to like look at the amount of runs that were stopped for, you know, one gain or less, they probably right. had a high percentage of that
0: in that game. Yeah, Aleem, Aleem yeah. instead of having like one had like three or four.
1: Yeah. Right? Um but but yeah, I th- I think you you brought up the point that I was going to bring up like how much of this is real, how much of this is just playing a Patriots team that that was very conservative in their approach the entire game and just not that talented. Um if if we're being quite quite honest. So we'll mm-hmm. have to see Dallas will be an interesting challenge. They're they're a really strong yeah. defensive team. We don't know. Yeah. I, I guess we're probably expecting Dak to be back by then. But last time he came Same. back from a finger injury, he was not very good. So mm-hmm. maybe he won't be at his best. We'll we'll see. Um, but but yeah, I I don't know. We'll we'll see with the defense. Uh, I I want to be optimistic because I like this coaching staff and and a lot of the things that that Aaron Glenn says seems to make a lot of sense to me. But. I I need to see more. <laughs> I need mm-hmm. I need to see more. All right, let's move to uh, a new question here. Uh an an interesting one here from Devoted to Detroit. I've seen a lot of comparisons uh to Matt Patricia and Jim Caldwell. Do does the build of the does the build of the roster affect the length of the leash the team will have with Campbell. I, th- I think he meant Campbell and Caldwell. Um, those teams under Jim Caldwell and Matt Patricia were built to compete. Dan Campbell was brought in for a rebuild.
0: Yeah. I mean, geez, with, with Patricia, he was taking over a team that was already successful. And then, but he was given the opportunity. like he was, it was, he was coming in with the concept of he was completely shedding the defense, tearing which, it
1: down. Yeah.
0: Right. So they gave him, I mean, plus it was Bob Quinn's boy, right? So like he he had a little bit of, he had a a leash there. Um, Caldwell inheriting Schwartz's team was actually not a terrible team. Um, But like, I think Schwartz, you know, Schwartz said he had melted down in that final year in a lot of different ways, Uh, but the team wasn't terrible and Caldwell definitely elevated them. Whereas, you know, Patricia took them the wrong way. Um, whereas I think this situation, it's completely different in the fact that they are rebuilding everything. It's not just one side of the ball. It's, it's everything. And and we've brought this up in the past as well. Like you're giving the coach and the GM five and six year contracts because you're expecting it to take three years before you're competitive. Right. And I, I know we, collectively as a fan base got very excited when they came out and looked very good the first two weeks but this is also four games five games into year two of a complete rebuild so maybe we're our expectations got a little too high a little too quick
1: yeah and i think i think maybe it's most fair to compare it to jim schwartz and what he inherited, right? Yeah. Like he inherited yeah, 0 and 16. Oh and yeah. sixteen. And so he mm-hmm. went two two and fourteen his first year, six and ten the second year, and six and and then ten and six his third year. Mm-hmm. And then then he got fired when he went four and twelve and seven and nine. So regressed yeah. there. So I, I think we need to see a little bit more year one to year two jump like like we did see with, with Schwartz. And and listen, the lions still have twelve games to prove that they can do that. Um but yeah, I I it it's it it is important to to really point out what this regime inherited. Yes. And the answer is basically nothing, right? I mean,
0: yeah. I what mean, what foundational
1: had... pieces did the Lions have outside of a couple of guys on the offensive line?
0: Right. Oh, well, I mean, you could Akuda, maybe, right? I mean, that was about it. I think Tracy, Akuda. Yeah. Um, everybody else has been replaced, right? I mean, yeah. you could say you could say Amani, but Amani's been replaced as well. It it, it appears so. And it, and it um, wasn't
1: a case where you know this staff jettisoned talented players because yeah, they didn't just fit where they contracts. want.
0: Contracts, yeah, yeah. They they just yeah. So I mean,
1: who who has they who have they gotten rid of that has succeeded elsewhere outside of Matthew Stafford, which was kind of out of their hands anyways. <laughs>
0: No one. I can't name one off the top of my head. Right, it, it because it's nobody. Like they
1: didn't. Right. They didn't have talent here to even jettison. Um, just like you said, kind of bad contracts for not great players. So, yeah. it, it is always important to point out the starting point. But it is also fair to wonder why they haven't made more progress in a year and a half. And, mm-hmm. and again, maybe they do in the second half of the season. But we we definitely have to wait it out. That's why I think you and I are both are firmly in the. Let's not do anything drastic right now. Let's not fire people twenty-two games into the regime. That's yeah, from that, from the ground
0: floor. But it um, doesn't it doesn't help because like I and I know people get very reactionary in and wanting to fire people and and I and I get that I I do, but at the same time, where what are you replacing them with? Right, like who who are you getting? That you're going to bring in, and that's all of a sudden going to write the ship on on this team. Like, I don't think that answer is there. And, and it's we we see this a lot. Like when you when you're getting in, into these roughy rough patches where um, where you want to make changes. I mean, you have to have you you have to look. Like, is the, is the, the grass isn't always greener? I guess right. Sure. Like, I, I guess that's the the point I'm looking at is you don't always it, one it's way too early right you haven't seen what they can do um and then two yeah it's just what do you got what's your plan like i know you want you're mad so you want you want us you want blood but like what's the plan what what's the next step after you you know cut this this uh you know get the hand off of this team right
1: Who who's, you know? who's the coach out there you're you're eager to hire
0: I I I I don't know. Promote
1: Ben Johnson, is that what everyone wants? I don't I mean, after a goose egg, I'm not sure anyone even wants that. So I'm sure not. Yeah. Um all right, next question. Let's go to this is an interesting one. Um Do you think Amani's benching was a teaching moment gone wrong?
0: Um I don't know. It's hard to say like you brought up this uh this point in your eight things i know about the team uh, article this morning where you had said that um you know well you pointed out that Campbell said that he was benched because he wasn't he didn't contribute on special teams and at the yeah, same time that's why time, he was inactive that was, that's why he was inactive Yes, right. sorry he was
1: benched for performance issues but
0: yes he was inactive because he didn't play on special teams yeah, thank yeah. you um and then you went on to say uh, that how much does six snaps on special teams really matter? Right. Um, okay, so I, I do, I get that. Um I wonder if there's something deeper going on here mm-hmm. um where they've lost trust in him. Sure. And um they felt like even Chase Lucas. Is was going to give them a better option than than what Amani was because he has struggled the last couple of games. Now, personally, as big of a Chase Lucas fan as I am, I still think Amani is a better player. Yeah. Um, but it, it's very possible they just lost confidence in him, and if they have, then maybe start uh, making phone calls because if you don't think he's going to play, he's just sitting there eating up cap space.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. Um, Campbell made it clear on Monday that he still, like, it's it's not a done deal. Like, Amani yeah, can no, still he can win, prove yeah. win the job back. And and he mm-hmm. said, you know, Amani's been a, a huge pro about this in terms of just like taking it in stride and and being mature about this and even going to him and, and and asking like, hey, am I benched for good now, or or can I win this job back? And he was he was honest with him, like, yeah, you can win this back. Just got to go out and do it in practice. Now, mm-hmm. I think that that's got to be pretty hard to do. Considering practices are pretty short and you only get a handful of opportunities, especially when you're not a starter. So I don't I don't know if he ends up accomplishing that. But we I mean, everything this team says about Will Harris is they trust that guy. Yeah. Front and back. And I mean, we we haven't had a a ton of sample size of Will Harris uh, as as an outside corner in in the, the regular season this year. But a lot of it hasn't been great.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. And so played, I, I
0: th- played better last year he, on the outside. He
1: did. he did. But then like, like you said, like he, in, in training camp, it looked like, okay, he's comfortable. And then it like start, started slipping yeah. away from him. And then he comes yeah. in and listen, it, it's hard to come off the bench. And then ime- like, you know, for five snaps and, and you get burned in the, in the season opener when, when mm. Okuda goes out with a cramp, like that's, that's a tough place to put a, a player in. And so maybe there's, there needs to be a little more leniency there, but they they also say very high things about Jerry Jacobs and they think they seem very excited about getting Jerry Jacobs back and so the question is yeah. is it going to be the Jerry Jacobs Jeff Okuda show and i'm starting to think the answer is yes
0: i think they're going to they're going to test him out against will you know what i mean like yeah. they're going to end up with two guys that they trust and that makes i mean look to go back to the original question that's going to make life even harder for o'reah right it is. so uh, i i don't know i not you want to say it's a good problem to have but honestly like it's it's the end solution still isn't ideal right. well, no matter like, who ends up starting there to be think, honest
1: like we talk about offensive line cohesion and and, and trying to keep yeah. that as as stable as possible yeah. Some, there's something to be said about that in the secondary too. And I mean we Certainly. saw it when when Chase Lucas and, and Bobby Price, Bobby had Price a, yeah. you know had a, a little bit of a meltdown there on, on mm-hmm. the the one touchdown pass. Like there needs to be some sort of chemistry there and the lines have just been yeah. shaken. it's in it's mostly injury related, so there's they're shaking things up because they have to, but mm-hmm. at some point they, they need to find some sort of stasis there and, and just go with yeah. what they have and and let them grow some chemistry between them because man, it's they're putting them in tough positions
0: yeah like the split zone requires a lot of communication and if you're changing guys up consistently it it makes that it, very challenging
1: all right we're going to take a break here maybe answer some more questions for our live audience here but when we come back answering questions from twitter answering questions from our twitch chat as we continue the bye week midweek mailbag we'll be right back Welcome back to the midweek mailbag here in the Detroit Lions bye week. I'm here, Jeremy Reisman, along with my buddy, Eric Schlitt, the managing editor of Pride of Detroit. Uh, let's jump back into it. So Carolina Panthers, Eric, fire yeah. their head coach. Now, everyone is wondering, since the Panthers don't have uh, many draft picks uh, yep. in the future, if they're about to go on a fire sale. Uh, so mm-hmm. we've gotten a couple questions here about do the Lions – Look that way and maybe add some talent
0: to, to help turn this thing around. I, I think they should look, and I think they should make some phone calls. But at the same time, I don't think it's going to be the fire sale that most are anticipating because they have some really nice young core talent at a relatively cheap cost. Mm-hmm. And they to, to shed those just for draft picks isn't really productive for what they're trying to accomplish long-term, right? At the same time, if they have a rookie contract that's coming to a close or it will be coming to a close in a couple of years and the team is willing to offer them a really good deal, then I think they would be open to entertaining that, right? Um, From the Lions' perspective, uh, they have uh, Brown, who's their defensive tackle, right? Mm -hmm. Um, They have um their corner who they just drafted um geez i'm i don't know i should have pulled up the the, our uh, our lads real fast um and then um they have brian burns very obviously that that's what most people are are screaming about um that you know you'd have to give up a, a considerable amount to to go get brian burns uh and then at the same time I don't think the Lions would necessarily be as interested in Burns as they would be like as in Brown, right? Um, Burns is the better talent. He's probably their best player. Um, He will also cost a ton, but look at how much money the Lions have sunk into the edge. You know what I mean? Uh, And you're getting, you're getting at least one back or two back when probably Kaminsky and Pascal. you've already got money invested in Harris. He should come back from the buy uh, healthy, uh you've got julian you've got austin bryant you've and you've got uh romeo coming back at some point ideally right they've got so much invested and it's not just this year it's like it goes into next year as well for for a lot of those guys i can't see them overspending with for with draft picks at a position they've already maybe overspent at already whereas the interior is a mess outside of alim right now and, and they have Brown who's one of the best better defensive tackles out there right now. He's young. He's selling a rookie deal. He's got two years left. That would be the guy I think they would be more inclined to inquire about. Um, but who knows? There's probably like some second string linebacker that they like that'll come in and like play 10 special team snaps and that'll be the guy they want. Right. <laughs> right and, um, that, and that just feels like it's, it's more apropos of what they're trying to do right now. Right. Is yeah.
1: you're, you're right. Like, if there's a rookie guy, you know, a guy in a rookie deal, like the, I mean, they really have two corners, whether you're talking mm-hmm. about JC Horn or CJ Horn, there you go. Both, both first former first round picks in the past three years. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, I, I think that the Panthers are kind of juggling which one of those guys that they, they keep like, yeah, if you can pull that fine, but I don't think this team wants to really part with anything more than like a third round draft pick. And, and they can't afford to do much in terms of cap space because, you know, as you and I were kind of rummaging about it, they, they have somewhere between one and three million and it's probably closer to yeah. one.
0: Yeah, it's – it's yeah, I think it's like between – yeah, may, maybe closer to two. But um, yeah. regardless, they're short of – like if they wanted to trade for Brown, uh, he – they'd have to clear over six million after the trade for That's him. It's not
1: easy. It's not
0: easy. Now, the easiest thing to do would be what I brought up in the first half of our segment was uh, you could trade Amani and make Amani part of the package. And that would free up two and a half million. But even then, you're still falling short. right? And then not only are you falling short, but you'd have to do something else to to have not only the the gap but also a, a couple million for expenditures just on a day to day basis. Yeah, when when there, eventually there's... you're going to cut another kinker, kicker, you, you're going to need more money. Well, here's the deal. Like what what I think a a, a a small aspect of of the salary cap that like I think a lot of people overlook is that every time you elevate a player from the practice squad, they go from making like this much money to making a game check. Yeah. And when you do two a week, it's like a game check and a game check and those start to add up. And then after like five games, you're like, Oh, wait a minute. They've already at, ad- how did they add another million dollars to their cap? Well, it's because they've been adding guys uh, by elevating them. And so like you elevate Bagley and then he doesn't play you essentially like, I think they, it it was something like, I don't know, it wasn't even that much, a ton of money, but like, it was like another like $60,000, which right. is not that big of a deal, but like you do that. Some of the, some of the other guys, they cost like $100,000 right. for a game check. Right. And so they keep adding these guys and they keep adding in costs and you need those costs you need that buffer to get you through the the weekly thing. So, to, even if they were able to try and like swing a trade, they'd have to come up with a way to clear basically that entire six million somehow. Right. And just trading is not going to do it. They'd have to do another restructure. They'd have to find another way to come up. So it, it's not that's the biggest obstacle, right? Yeah. It's not just convincing the Panthers to give them a deal that they want, but it's the the cap situation is is difficult right now. Now. Some of it will improve as they return players from IR and puppet and stuff like that. That helps, but it's not gonna help six million dollars. <laughs> right.
1: And he, I mean, and and it feels like the lines are are near exhausting ways to create that space because the last thing that they did was move some of Brocker's contract down the line, kick some of that can down the road. And listen, yeah. we have to we have to be realistic. This guy is not going to be on the team next year. Yeah. There's almost no chance. So what they're doing is kicking stuff down the road, which they don't want to do. Like this team wants to be better down the road. So kicking more cap space down there is not good, especially when you're doing it to yeah. just keep your head above water in a season that is already looking towards being lost. So it's why I I, I try to tell people like there's, there's not a big transaction down the line coming to, to fix this mm-hmm. team. They and, and I don't know if this is, if that's what this team wants it. They, I think, they want to continue to just develop the the guys that they have because Dan Campbell mm-hmm. continues to insist he thinks they have the talent on the roster. He thinks there's some guys on the practice squad who are eventually going to get an opportunity to play and and contribute and be part of this team's future. So, I, I, I love the idea of scrounging off a bad team, but that's something that good teams do. Teams with cap space, teams that are a piece or two away. That's not the Detroit line. So don't I. I don't expect anything.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I I expect them to inquire. I don't expect them to pull something off. Yeah, that's fair. I I mean, look, I'd love to have Brown. I think Brown would be a difference maker, but I think the cost to go get him is more than that the team would want to compromise. Yeah. Uh,
1: next question. Uh, another popular one, especially after last game. Uh, Aiden Hutchinson. Is it fair to be disappointed with him thus far? If so, what about?
0: Well. I mean, I think he, the expectations for him are super high, sure. right? And they were. Um, you know, when we did our our uh, um, superlatives at the beginning of the season, we were talking about the fact that he's probably their best defensive player. yeah. And, like, it's realistic that he might be their defensive MVP by the end of the season. And that's really unfair to put those expectations on a rookie. Sure. Then you add in the fact that he's not getting a lot of help next to him. And so he's getting double teamed. He's often fighting through tight ends as well, because that's the role that he's in. Um, He's not getting as much help across from him on the opposite side from Charles Harris, as we were anticipating, the depth hasn't been there uh, to to support that as well. And so I think there's a lot of obstacles in his way. Um, So would you like to have more production? Certainly. Is it unfair to expect more production? <laughs> Maybe, <laughs> you know, like he's still getting pressure. He's not closing the the court on the quarterback. He's not finishing this place as much yep. as you would like him to do. So like, that's a criticism, but those are things that you expect from rookies. So I don't know how harsh you can be on that. Um, so look, I, I think a lot of the, he's he's inspected he, I expect him to improve. Yeah. But that's that doesn't mean that he's not where I also not also where I thought he should be.
1: I, and and I think the other thing to to throw into the equation is I think the coaching staff is still finding out the best way to use him. Because yeah. what, what I mean, he's been on that that closed end, the big end spot for for a while and and last week they they moved him to the other side quite a bit. A little bit, yeah. And Dan Campbell seemed pretty happy about how it worked out. He was very, I thought he was very good in the run game. And I think that's why you saw kind of the, the PFF grade that threw people off. Um, And that's, that's something that he needed to work on from the first few games. So to see his run game improve, I think that's noteworthy and good, Um, but they're still waiting to, to to really unlock that pass rushing potential. And Mm -hmm. I I do think expectations were a little bit too high because I think a lot of times during the entire draft season, people were like, yeah, you know, the, the edge rusher class is probably going to be what's going to dominate the, the, the top 10, but none of those guys are, are the premier guys, the, the, the game wreckers, the, the Joey Bosa's, the, you know, Mm. those kind of guys like that was told to us very early and, and, and often by, by a lot of the best draft analysts out there. And I think just the fact that he was drafted second overall made people think like, no, he has to be that guy right away. And that's not who he is. You hope down the line that develops into that guy because I do mm. think he's been a little over reliant on maybe one or two pass rush moves specifically a lot of bull rushing but give him time to develop some of that stuff give, give him mm. time to develop and and adjust to the strength and the speed of the NFL game and and and, and let's see how how it happens because I I think he's going to be a very good player. I don't know if he'll ever be an elite player, but I feel like that's where a lot of people's expectations were for for mm. Hutchinson from the get go and I do think the lines are starting to figure out ways to use them. So I'm I'm very much a let's see how this plays out in the in the back half of the season when players are are healthy and and, and they figure out the, the best place to use them. So I don't know. I'm I'm not panicking. The B yeah. word should never be thrown out five games Jeez. into a, a rookie's <laughs> season. So. Yeah.
0: See, in the hard part with, with line play, offensive line, defensive line is um you don't always know what the assignment is, right? And so sometimes when he's bull rushing, he's bull rushing because that's what he's supposed to do because he's still responsible for contain, but also the the hit that inside gap, right? So sometimes it looks like something to us on the surface, like, man, if he just would have made some like little swim move there or something, he could have got around, but his assignment might've been Okay, you have to hold this edge right here and right. and so the bull rush allows you to collapse while also holding the edge and so like it's really hard for for any analysts to to really properly evaluate um like what someone's assignment was and you know we do our best based on what we know and based on what we can ascertain and you know, every, you know that's that's part of the analytics community right but like who knows I mean we don't always know all the answers on why think X is happening with Y. And, 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 so, you know.
1: Here, Here's an interesting question from, from our chat and one that it's going to make you a little sad, I think from, from Addict 13. Yes. uh Question. Uh, Bill Belichick is nor- notorious for finding ways to exploit, beat offenses and defenses as much as I hate to say it. Patricia did this a couple of times in, with the lions and sent a quote unquote blueprint to the league. Have we been blueprinted by this game?
0: No, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I would, it's hard to say. I mean, it's certainly you could make that case because you went from scoring 45 to zero. (laughs) Right. But at the same time, that whole game, that whole time I'm watching that game, I'm thinking, you are overthinking yourself and you are shooting yourself in the foot. I, at, at no point did I think, man, look at the way the Patriots are scheming this up. This was a, you're doing this and it's working. And then when you make a mistake, you just throw everything you're doing out the window and you try something new and trying to get tricky and try and get too cute. And that doesn't work. And then you, then you're, uh, you're in fourth down. It just, it looked like a, a, just constant shooting yourself in the foot game to me. And I couldn't understand it. That's the thing that I just, I kept tweeting that out. Like if running is working, why are you, you know, getting into fourth and one and then trying to throw the ball. You know what I mean? Like yeah. just, just do what you're doing. Don't get cute. You don't need to get cute against this terrible defense. And then you just did. And it was, it was, that's what it was. for me. I don't think they've been blueprinted. So at the end of that, I mean, I, they, there you go. There's my definitive answer. They moved the ball. They moved the ball
1: against the Patriots pretty consistently. Made, so it's just yeah, once just, they got into the Patriots side of the field, I think you put it best. They, they shot themselves in the foot, whether it was penalties, Fumbles, weird play calling, um, poor reads from Jared Goff, fumbles, poor protection. Like they were doing a lot of uncharacteristic things in 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 the Patriots side of the field. So I don't mm-hmm. feel and that's why, you know, I, I think I said it on the podcast. I, I I wrote it um multiple times on the website. Like, I don't feel like the lines got all that outplayed in the first half of that game. And then it just got away from them. And and that happens a lot of times, right? You, you fall behind mm. big and then you have, you have to become one dimensional on offense, which makes you vulnerable to, to sacks and turnovers and whatever. But I I just, I don't think the lines got as outplayed as the score suggested at any point in that game. And so I don't feel like there's a schematic thing that, that the Patriots were doing it. And, and Dan Campbell was asked that several times, I think both on Sunday and Monday, like, was there something the Patriots did that confused you or surprised you. And his answer was no. And, and you know, the offensive line said, you know, there were some stunts and things like that, that, that gave us trouble, but we knew that sort of stuff was coming. Like we knew Mm -hmm. that it wasn't something that we were completely unprepared for. We just didn't play it well. And so I get the blueprint concern and, and it's an interesting thought too, because you're right. Like that is something that is like the one thing that Patricia did here. Every eighth game is like, Wow, you shut down that team that we thought were gonna was gonna walk all over you, mm-hmm. um, but that I just don't think that's what happened in this game. I think the Lions just in those and this is the thing that kills me because this was one of the off season focuses that Dan Campbell like Dan Campbell said like it's it's those do or die moments that that killed us last season. We really need to yeah. practice these specialized moments, the critical moments, critical yeah. moments, the criticals yeah. he kept calling it. they've been bad at critical moments and Mm -hmm. not, not always just like end of half and end of game stuff. They've been so, so, you know, mixed back there, but to me, third downs offensively, not good. And and before this game defensively, they were horrible on third downs. That's, what's been really disappointing to me is they just have not been good in those opportunities. And I don't know, part of it seems like it's an execution thing. A lot of it to me is a play calling thing. And I know that's an easy thing to point to. And, 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 say oh well it didn't work so it's your call f- your, your fault for the play calling but defensively they got outplayed they got out coached on third downs when it came to seattle's offense and this week i think they got out coached when it came to third and fourth down uh lions offense versus patriots defense and that to me is something that they really need to look inward uh in, in these next two weeks to figure things out their
0: best offensive uh production was in the first two games And then when they went into Minnesota, they shifted away from the run into a more pass-focused approach. And that, in my opinion, downgraded the offense's production or their opportunity for production. And yes, I understand that Seattle... They scored all those points, and that was their, their highest scoring game. But I actually think that that offense was not as good in that game as it was in the first two. And I think they have shifted towards this more passing approach because they don't have DeAndre Swift. Sure. I think they knew they were losing Swift in the in uh, in Minnesota, or they knew he wasn't fully ready to go. And so they tried to put the ball in Goff's hands a little bit more instead of the offensive lines. And um, I think you've seen – the offense take a step back over the last three games. um, Whereas as opposed to where they were the first two. And I think Swift is a big catalyst for that. And I know that we talk all the time about like how, you know, if you have the, if you have, you can take any running back and if you have the right scheme and the right offensive line that they can be productive and look, I think you need a back that can do certain things in, in your scheme, right? Like Jamal is going to get you three yards right? And occasionally he's going to bust one for nine, but he's probably going to get you three yards more often than not. But then a guy like Craig who's a little bit more dynamic Craig's going to bust those a little bit easier like Swift does he's going to break out he's going to hit those a little bit easier but they haven't put their trust in Craig yet which is a little bit shocking to me because he was he looked great I thought against the Patriots he was one of the only ones that I thought on offense that was producing and they just they gave nine touches that's not a ton for a guy that you know had 90 yards on nine touches so I think if they can get Swift back they can go back to some of those basic concepts that they were doing in those first couple of games. And that's an easy way to kind of write the ship on offense. You get the offensive line a little healthier, you get Swift a little healthier and you have to like, you have to adjust the offense to the back that's in there and not just completely move away from it and put the ball in, in Jared Goff's hands. Like, I don't know. That was, that's, that's, I think the offense has really kind of gone a different direction last couple of games.
1: Yeah, and maybe maybe out of necessity. I mean, you're missing some of your your best pieces. Yeah. I mean, yeah, no, he, for sure. Like Amon Ron too. We have to mention him as, as yeah. part of the reason. Like he was obviously very limited in this game, and and even even when he's out there, you you could kind of notice a, a a lack of efficiency and sure. um and all that. So, um, last question that we'll go out on, and we'll we'll stick with the <laughs> offense here. Um, T.J. Hawkinson question mark like that's that's essentially the entire question um and and it's interesting right the first three games of the season were like tj where are you tj where are you fourth game he comes out has a career game yeah then we go back patriots game doesn't catch a pass until late in this game gets Mm -hmm. a holding penalty you know gives up a pressure when he's for some reason one-on-one with with matthew judon um what what's i guess what's your overall concern level with with hawkinson right now Is 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 he just not ever going to be that elite guy? I mean, you, I,
0: I think you are kind of seeing that they don't think he's going to be that elite guy, right? Uh, if they thought he was going to be an elite guy, they would be feeding him more, right? Uh, regardless of if he's facing doubles, I still think they would try and scheme the offense through him. But instead, we're seeing them kind of scheme the offense through Josh Reynolds, who's your third wide receiver, right? Who's playing in your wide receiver one role, yet he's still your priority target on a lot of these situations. And so, um, does he have the potential? I mean, yeah, you you could see that. You could see that he has that potential. um, But if you find the right situation and they decide to start feeding him, you can get those Seattle-type results um but the more i watch how they use him the more i think they don't think he's the the long term answer and uh you know he'll probably he'll, he's under contract next year uh because they picked up the option but it wouldn't surprise me if he ends up like on the trading block and potentially a guy that doesn't return the year after that if this regime is still uh intact and so Oof, I just I don't it, like that caveat you just threw in there. Uh, well, <laughs> I mean, look, yeah. Um, but I mean, I, honestly, like, yeah. I think he has potential. I don't think they think he has that much potential because they would. I would think they would be leaning on him a lot more than they are.
1: Well, I mean, they did last week, right? I, I, I Well, against can, we can yeah, compl- oh, Seattle, sure. right? Um, and, and that, that's part of it, or right? like, you have to consider your opponent and Kyle Duggar is a dude, like sure. as, as much as, as much as we want to just focus inward, like Kyle Duggar is a very, very good player. And, and Brian Phillips kind of warned us on, on our preview podcast last week that he might have a big impact on this game. And sure enough, he did. Yeah, um, but... but yeah, good players transcend that, right? Like yes. <laughs> th- this very much could have been the Patriots focus to just. And we know what they like to do. They like to take away your your best threat. And it's very possible that T.J. Hawkinson was the biggest threat to the Patriots. Yeah, the
0: oh, I think he certainly was. I think they schemed to take him away. Right. Certainly. And and yeah. you'd
1: like you'd like your place to transcend that. But I, I I don't I don't I don't know if T.J. Hawkinson has ever been that guy. He hasn't been the Travis Kelsey who's going to catch four touchdowns in a game, and somehow only get twenty six yards, which is also insane. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, I, th- I think he can be a productive player. And I'm not sure if I'm as confident as, as you are that, the, that they've given up on him. And I know that's not exactly what you're saying, but yeah, um, no. um, Yeah. I just, I don't know. I, I I, feel, I I think you do have a point though. Like when everyone's healthy, Hawkinson isn't a priority.
0: No, they so prioritize the backs, the receivers, and then the tight ends. Like right. that's just mm. the way they, I mean.
1: Yeah. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see as, as the season continues to go on, but we're going to, cap it there we'll do a little bit more for our live audience off air but for you listening at home thank you for listening uh we might not do a first bite this week since there's no game to preview but we will be back uh with a a monday morning podcast for the the podcast feed to kind of maybe reset the season do a little overlooking and and that sort of stuff so thank you for listening thank you to eric for for joining us as always on every tuesday if you want to join us live tuesday 1 p.m eastern twitch.tv slash pride of detroit but until then thank you for listening it's chaos. Be kind.